be, I'll be reading in a moment from Luke uh, chapter 4, verses 14 to 21. That's page 727 in the Pew Bibles, the red ones. But before that, I'm going to pray <coughs> Excuse me for Kyle as he prepares to preach. Let's pray. Father, we come to you with our hearts open and our minds open, and, our, our, and we want to hear from you through the words that Kyle speaks and through your scripture. Lord, that your Holy Spirit would teach us something new today, reveal something that we can learn and walk in and practice this week. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. So Luke chapter 4, verses 14 to 21, that's 727 in the Red Pew Bible. So Jesus returned to Nazareth in the power of the Spirit, and news about him spread throughout the whole countryside. He taught in their synagogues, and everyone praised him. He went to Nazareth, where he had been brought up. And so, on the Sabbath day, he went into the synagogue, as was his custom. And he stood up to read. The scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Unrolling it, he found the place where it is written. The Spirit of the Lord is on me, because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor, he has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to release the oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Then he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him, and he began by saying to them, Today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God indeed. Hi, everybody. Good morning. How is everyone doing today? Thumbs up? Kind of, kind of, so-so? All right, well, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That's the phrase of the Lord's Prayer that we are going to be highlighting today, and this is the passage we've chosen to use to supplement that. that we're doing a series on the Lord's Prayer um, and using the Lord's Prayer as, as a model. Um, in the, each sermon, we're pausing in a phrase of, of the Lord's Prayer. Today, your kingdom come, your will be done. Um, scripture interprets scripture, and so we're taking each of these phrases, looking somewhere else in Jesus' teaching and ministry, uh, to help us understand what this phrase means, your kingdom come, your will be done. And we're bringing these lessons back into a three-part model of prayer, which asks, who am I, who is God, and how should I then respond, given these things? Especially as prayer remakes us, it shapes us, it forms us, it makes us into a certain type of people. We first looked at our Father in heaven and our personal relationship with God, which is the basis for everything else that comes later. Um, we come to God not as a service to God, but as a child of God. We looked at hallowed be your name and how God made us. God made us as creatures that worship. And we see in it a call to lay down every idolatry that stands in the way of that single worship of God. Again, the children got it right in that passage. And today, we're at your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Maybe this could be considered a prayer of submission, maybe a, a prayer of trust. 
the passage we're using to supplement it, um, thanks Rob for reading it, um, is when Jesus returned to Nazareth, um, his hometown, let me, let me paint the scene for you to show you the, the heart of the challenge that this passage sets up. I mean, imagine that you're there. You're in Galilee. As news of Jesus spreads through the whole countryside, we're told. This is early in Luke's gospel, so it's, perhaps it's early in Jesus' ministry as well. I mean, sometime after traveling to C Capernaum, which from the other gospels, we, we know that Jesus performed miracles there. So his name is being spread. His fame is growing. People are talking about Jesus. Actually, our passage says everyone. In verse 15, and everyone praised him. I mean, that's good gossip right there. This boy put Nazareth, little old town, on the map. Imagine Jesus going back to hometown, Nazareth, where he grew up, where you might even have a chance to see him and meet him. He's teaching in a local synagogue. Can you imagine it? When he gets there, Jesus is doing what's customary. He is reading a scripture. In the passage, even though it's in first person, he's reading from Isaiah, he gets everyone's attention. Everyone's looking at him. They're watching. And no sooner, and this is how the segment of our, of our scripture passage ends today, Jesus says something they don't expect. He says, today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. And the, it doesn't seem like that's what bothers people. The people around him consider Jesus' words, and they're still speaking well of him. And then the strangest thing happens. And we don't, didn't include this section in our reading today, but um, Jesus then says, no prophet is accepted in his hometown. We have to consider what they're doing, this good gossip, is different from what Jesus is calling acceptance. Apparently, speaking well of Jesus is not the same as acceptance of Jesus. And part of what we have to set out to understand is why then the people form a mob and try to throw him off a cliff. I mean, this always struck me as an over-response um, to saying that you were sent as a prophet. I mean, the New Testament guidance on prophecy is to test the, the spirits, to test the prophecy. If it comes true, they're a prophet. I mean, the, this is not what happens in this passage. There is an immediate response to execute a man, and that is something we have to understand as well. So we have a, a text, a curious problem, and I'm going to organize my sermon in the three parts of our prayer. Who am I, who is God, and how then should I respond, especially as prayer remakes us. So let's start with who, I, who am I? Who am I when we pray, your kingdom come, your will be done? I mean, when we pray that in one breath, your kingdom come, I think we have to also pray rather than my own kingdom in the next breath. Who am I? I'm a subject in God's kingdom. To be a subject means to have a king. And I wonder if in America we inherently don't like the idea of a king. I mean, my first association is, is Jonathan Groff's rendition of King George in um, Hamilton. I mean, we think like long live democracy because we can't trust kings. 
Um, but fundamentally, a, a kingdom is a government. It's an administration. It's, it's a system that orders our culture. It promotes laws that promote a certain way of life and being. Um, I like the metaphor another preacher uses uh, for a king or a kingdom. And he, he uses the metaphor of a coach um, or, or a team, right? A coach exercises authority and shapes the culture of a team. And instinctively, we know um, that there are good and bad coaches, right? There's, there's a good coach inspires and motivates. And, and when you're on the team of a good coach, the, the, the total product is greater than the sum of the parts. Um, a bad coach really uh, hurts morale and impedes natural development. And bad coaches fragment teams. Um, there are some teams you want to be a part of. I mean, I'm talking about like 2007 Patriots to like 2012 at least. Like you want to be part of that team. We're talking like 2016 Golden State Warriors, and you can stretch that a little bit, but at least to 2017, you want to be part of that team. I mean, you want to be part of the Bulls the Chicago Bulls, when, when Michael Jordan was in like his height, like 95, 96. You want to be part of that team. I mean, in God's kingdom, there's a rule. There's a way of life. There's a law of the land. There's a coach. There's a king. And when you exist in this kingdom, like a vine growing up a trellis, there's a structure, and you're supported, and you're strong. But you take away that trellis, and what is a vine? just a twisted mess of branch on the ground. When the kingdom comes fully, um, when God returns, when God's here fully, I mean, the subjects of God's kingdom will flourish because God's way, God's rule, God's, God's law is actually designed for our flourishing. I mean, we said last week that we are worshiping beings, and that means that, I mean, in order to flourish, we have to worship. And in the same way, there's a law that's designed for our good. When God comes fully, living by that law will actually cause us to grow and flourish, um, being what we're made for. Who am I? I'm a subject. God's the king. His order, his, his law. For a sports player, this means you run by the coach's play rather than your own. For a Christian, this means acknowledging that God is sovereign which means submitting to his will. I mean, one of the things that happens in this passage that's supplementing our, your kingdom come, your will be done is, is, you know, Jesus stepping beyond the role of the expected. I mean, people aren't rejecting a hometown hero. They're rejecting somebody who is stepping beyond that, who's calling himself a prophet and who's saying... I mean, there's, there's, there's more to me than the story. I mean, maybe I'll pause there on that point. Because um, I, I tend to think that I would feel pretty good about myself with this sort of good gossip if I went back home and people were talking up me like, like I was, I, I don't know, the, your friend's nephew who became a state politician. It's, it's, it's like it feels good to be talked up, but... That is um, a long way from what accepting Jesus means. Um, Jesus is more than that, more than the hometown hero. Which brings us to our next question of who is God? I mean, if who we are in this equation is subject, who is God? 
God is sovereign. Right? God is the sovereign Lord, who, Lord whose kingdom is founded on justice, on love, on truth. He is king, the king of two realms. As our passage, as our prayer says, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. When we pray this, we're acknowledging that God is king in heaven and king on earth. King in heaven and king on earth. What this passage reveals to us about Jesus, what it means to accept Jesus, what it means to bow to who he actually is, it tells us what kind of king he is, what the king declares about the priorities of his kingdom. I think that there's a reason he chose this passage. Let's, let's read this passage that he read from Isaiah together. The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. I'll pause there. He's anointed me to preach good news for the poor. He sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners. Proclaiming that prisoners are free. And recovery of sight for the blind. To release the oppressed. To proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. I mean, a lot of these things are things that only a king can do. I mean, releasing prisoners, one of those things. Um, but Jesus says that his ministry is targeted towards the poor, the prisoners, the blind, the oppressed. Consider that. Jesus' ministry is targeted to the, the poor, the prisoners, the blind, the oppressed. And doesn't that present a challenge to you and me, um, to middle class American, a lot of us able-bodied, a lot of us very free to choose. Not only does Jesus direct his ministry to the poor, the prisoners, blind and oppressed, I mean, we should think about the Beatitudes in Luke, which also include woes in this Sermon on the Mount. Because alongside blessed are, are the poor um, is woe to the rich. King Jesus brought a kingdom with priorities and a way of being that is, I submit to you, completely incompatible with the priorities and way of being that many of us know. I mean, look at what the king did. The king became poor. The king took on flesh. The king made a life of service to others and gave himself, gives himself, even his very life for you and me. I mean, what happens when the sovereign Lord, whose kingdom is founded on justice, love, and truth, speaks? We realize he's talking to people like you and me who build up their kingdoms, their mini kingdoms, around other priorities. I mean, woe to the rich, simply, not, not simply because they have money, but woe to the rich when power and material comfort and success become their priority. Because these things have no lasting effect on your life. This has to do with how you spend your time, how you live, who you hang out with, who you date. If anything other than God fills your life, I mean, woe to you. You're, you'll, you'll regret it. What kind of kingdom is this? And what kind of king is this? King Jesus says that his ministry is to the poor, the prisoners blind and oppressed, the material poor, materially poor, I think have a leg up 
on knowing that they have nothing to bring to God but their hearts. I mean, Jesus does everything we need to enter the kingdom of heaven. He gave up the riches of heaven, becoming poor for you. Those who are imprisoned are, are in a life context where they know they can't undo what they did, and so they know that they need forgiveness to know that God isn't looking for our good works in order to show his favor. Jesus does everything we need to enter the kingdom. Jesus gave up his freedom, becoming a prisoner for you. Those who are blind so much more easily know what it is to be spiritually lost. Jesus is everything we need to enter the kingdom. He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. An absolute claim And even though many, many of these groupings aren't, aren't actually Beatitudes, right? Oppressed, probably the least of which, is a, a Beatitude. I think that even a, someone who is in that position is, is, is in a place where they're able to more easily receive the gifts of Christ and benefit from his actions. I mean, his actions here are encouraging, providing hope, healing, setting free. I mean, Jesus isn't looking for middle-class American, able-bodied, free followers who want to impress him and earn rewards from him. And God is a king. He meets our most essential needs so we can enter into a kingdom freely that is a totally different ordering of priorities and a totally different way of being in the world. I mean, so who is God? And God is a king, a sovereign lord whose kingdom is founded on justice and love and truth. Which brings us to our next, next question. How should we then respond? Well, we should pray, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. And Augustine says you have to do that personally first. You can't say, thy kingdom come, thy will be done, without saying, deeper in me, Lord, after. Our response should be that of Thomas, who says, my Lord and my God. I mean, the first application of this is personal. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done in me. I mean, so what does this look like? I mean, let, when we consider our passage, I want, I want to make an interpretive suggestion to you. Um, when we, we read that people admire Jesus, and then Jesus went on to say that he was rejected like an Old Testament prophet was rejected, I, I don't believe that Jesus was displaying an unwillingness to, to heal or to help or to act kingly, to give hope, to release prisoners, to heal. I mean, nowhere in Scripture does someone, uh, uh, does an Israelite approach Jesus and he refused to heal them. That doesn't happen in Scripture. That does not happen in his hometown. Instead, we read elsewhere in, in, in the Gospels that, that very few in Nazareth had the faith to be healed. I mean, Jesus knows our hearts. When they're hard, he knows when our behaviors are words. Um, suggest an acceptance of him, you know, perhaps that doesn't, that doesn't make that measure of submitting to a king, submitting to your Lord. Prayers of trust and submission, I think are prayers where we open our heart up and go where we, we don't want to be led. And 
we ask God to help align our lives with his will, his purpose. Um, I mean, God is a sovereign God whose kingdom is founded on justice, love, and truth. There are prayers that can be painful. Um, in the same way that living in freedom after a life in incarceration can be painful. So how does this relate to prayer? You know, I, I think that as we say, your kingdom come, your will be done, there's a submission piece, but then there's an eagerness piece. I mean, a missional piece that we should want God's kingdom to come in the lives of, of us, in the, in the hearts of our neighbors, of our friends, of our family that don't know him. I think this means praying against violence and injustice, um, which, which absolutely involves self-giving and service. And I think this means praying with with a future-oriented yearning for this day when, when things in God's kingdom will, will truly reach a, a fulfillment. Um, I mean, that, that prayer of keep me, keep me aware um, of the not yet and let me look forward to it in hope. Now, I don't know if I scared anybody talking about the middle class and I'd say average Christian that, that you know, doesn't quite meet the, the standard in the Beatitudes. I, I think that um, part of my mind this week thought about the question of, does God ask us to go there? Does God ask us to seek poverty? Does God ask us to... I mean, enter into these, these areas of life that are more difficult. Um, and I, I think I can, uh, I can say, after having thought about it for a little while, I don't think so. <laughs> but, but God does ask us to get involved in the lives of people who are poor, the lives of people who are sick, that have needs, and, and actually getting involved in the lives of people who are poor is going to make you a little bit poorer than you are right now. Um, I mean, giving a tithe is a way of, I mean, you're, you're becoming poorer. Like 10% of your wealth is going into a tithe basket, and, and you're becoming poorer. Um, when you spend your time with people that, I mean, are a little bit smelly, you're going to become a little bit smelly. And actually, they're going to notice a little bit of your smell as well. I, I think that God asks us to go there, not for the sake of going there, but for the people that we're going to be meeting there. Um, and that's going to change you. And I think that that's part of God's kingdom coming, is that it doesn't look like building up a, I don't know, a white picket fence life that's protected from all these things. It, it means entering into a life where you're exposed to heartache and you're exposed to people, people dealing with things that are going to give you grief and that are going to keep you up at night sometimes. I mean, 
I don't think it's God's will for us to, to just have our dreams come true. <laughs> I think that those priorities are things that as we approach God in his kingdom, God changes in our heart. Um, God has a purpose to make you more like Jesus, and that means I mean, doing the things that Jesus did. Um, you know, I, I think that another thing um, that, that is very inward, right, is this, this weakness and grief. Um, I mean, none of us lives a life um, that, is, that is worthy of, of God. Um, and, and so actually grieving over our weakness, grieving over um, our sin, it, it's, it's actually a gateway into the presence of God that, that I think is part of his will for us. Uh, when, when I was younger, I thought of the will of God pretty mystically, um, as in something that you, you might, um, I don't know, find if you if you pray the magic eight ball and and get a good feeling in your gut and I, I i think that god's will for us is more of a way of life that we discern together um through the holy spirit um and you have to stay here long enough for things to get uncomfortable <laughs> um and go places long enough for them to change you and I think that's closer to how I understand discerning God's will now. Is it's communal, and it's it's a way of life that, you know, we we see in Scripture modeled through the life of Jesus. I think that's enough. I had more, but let me let me conclude our sermon there. Who are we? We are subjects. Who is God? but a good, sovereign king who lays down his life for you. And what does that mean for us? I mean, that means that we have to be willing to be changed so that our priorities are ordered by the law of the land in this good kingdom that God has, has already inaugurated and that we pray comes. Let's pray. God, I thank you that you bring your kingdom into our hearts, and I pray that it would go deeper, um, and I pray that it would heal us, um, that it would shape us, um, and we submit ourselves to that process as a community, individually, in Christ's name, amen. and uh, in worship with us. <clears throat>